This morning, we're going to look um, in Revelation chapter 3. If you haven't got the handout, um, you can get one at one of the tables. If not, we'll throw everything up on the screen for you. Um, Revelation chapter 3, starting at verse 14, and we're going to go through, chap- or, sorry, through verse 22. And uh, this is the church of Laodicea. I'll give you guys a minute to get there. Now, we'll just do a little background on the book of Revelation to kind of jump in so we have some context. Revelation was written by the Apostle John. Uh, There's other views, but this is the one that I think is most compelling uh, through history, and this is how we take it. It was written probably A.D. 95 to 96, uh, the Apostle John was exiled to the island of Patmos and under uh, Emperor Domitian. And he died, the emperor died in AD 96. And that's when John was released. And from history, he went, we know he went back to Ephesus and probably died there. And he was, um, you know, we got church fathers writing about actually studying under the Apostle John in Ephesus. Um, so... The best we can tell, he probably wrote this ninety five ninety six towards the end of his exile, and in this um, we're going to see a few things. We're, we're going to learn a lesson from the Church of Laodicea. Uh, we're going to look at what they learn and then see how it applies to us. But we're also going to encounter a couple of verses that are widely misunderstood. Uh, two verses are uh, three, verse sixteen and verse twenty, and these will be the two. You've probably heard them. It's the first one is, you know, you hear where Jesus is about to spit these people out of his mouth. And what does that mean, that he's going to vomit them up? And then the next one, verse 20, is Jesus is at the door and he's knocking and he wants to come in. What does that mean? Is that salvation or is that fellowship? So we're going to look at that. Let's see. Um, do a little background on the church of to see it. It's the seventh church out of seven churches that are mentioned in Revelation. Okay. So we got Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and then this is the last church. And this is Revelation chapter uh, 2 through 3. And is the outline next? Or is it the church? Okay. Yeah, here's the outline. So we get our outline from Revelation 119. And it says this. It says, therefore, and he's talking to John, he sees... This vision of Jesus says, Therefore write, and this is Jesus speaking, it says, Therefore write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after these things. So there's a past, present, future outline. So the things which he has seen is chapter 1. The things which are present tense, present time, is chapters 2, 3. So John is writing to churches, present-day churches uh, in Asia Minor. And then he says, after this, write the things which are. And that starts in chapter 4. And we get these textual clues because chapter 4 starts and it says, after these things. So it helps us out. And then he gets into the apocalyptic stuff, future, end times, and all that stuff. So where we are in the book is present day. He's talking to churches that were around his day. And each church has a problem except for the Church of Philadelphia. They're the only church that doesn't receive a condemnation. 
So there's a commit commendation. So good job. And then it says, but I have this against you. And then he says, this is what you're doing wrong. Philadelphia is the only church that uh, has it all together. But let's look at verse 1. Oh, actually, let's look at the church of Laodicea. What's, so they were a very wealthy community. Uh, they were known because they had this eye that they put in people's eyes. And it was actually exported all over the Greco-Roman world. And so they are known for that. They manufactured wool, carpets, and garments. And it's interesting to know that uh, it was mainly black garments because we're going to see something that Jesus talks about. And then they're a banking center. And so they're really wealthy. So wealthy that in AD 60, there's a massive earthquake, completely leveled the city, and they rebuilt without any help from Rome. And so they are a very wealthy church. And we're going to see that was part of their problem was they got so consumed with wealth and possessions that they started to fail as a church. They weren't fulfilling their purpose. And we talk a lot here about our purpose plan process, right? Our purpose to make disciples. And so they were failing, and we're going to talk about that more. Okay. Look at verse 14. It says, To the angel of the church of Laodicea write, The Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of creation of God, says this. So this is Jesus speaking. And he's speaking to the church. And it's the amen. So he's the true one. He's faithful and true witness. So he's a witness. He's a witness in that when Jesus came, he was a witness revealing who God is to a world in darkness. They don't know the light, so he is the light. He reveals God himself. He's, and John, he says, everything I see the Father do, I do. So when you see me, you see the Father. Dr. Pentecost, he was my professor at DTS, he said Jesus had two purposes. He came to introduce God to man and then to introduce man to God. And what he meant was he's introducing God to man and that he's revealing who is God. And then introducing man to God is salvation, bringing man back to God. And so that was the dual purpose of Christ's coming, to reveal who the one true God was and then to bring man back to him. So he is the faithful and true witness and probably here also he, what he's about to say. He's about to give this revelation to this church about what, is, what they're doing wrong. And his testimony, his witness about them is faithful and true. It says he's the beginning of creation. A lot of people, a lot of cults will say, look, Jesus, he was the first creation. He's not God. He hasn't always been with God. He was the first thing that God created. That's not true. The word archaic, means beginning, but it also means source or origin. Jesus isn't the first thing created. He's not the beginning of creation in that sense. He's the beginning in that all creation stems from him. He is the source of all creation. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so he's always been with God, and he is God. He's the Son, and he is the one who created creation. God is the architect. And Jesus is the one who executed it. I, you know, Rusty, he, he built my parents' home, but I don't know how many nails Rusty actually put into the, to the house. But he's the builder. But then there's people who did the building. That's kind of the relationship. God is the builder. He's the architect. And Jesus is the agent of creation. Creation comes from him. He's the creator. And he says this, I know your deeds that you are neither hot nor cold, and I wish that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. 
And this is the first commonly misunderstood verse. And we're going to look at uh, three views of this verse. And the first view is mistaken believers. So people will try to explain this verse and say, well, these weren't true believers. They, they made a mistake. They just thought they were believers. So the first view is mistaken believers. Second view is these were believers for a while. They were believers, but because they were neither hot nor cold, they were lukewarm, they lost their salvation. And so you can see the first one is the no assurance view is what I call it. There's no assurance if you're going to take this view. And then the second view is there's no security. If you can lose your salvation, there's no security. And then the third view is believers are in danger of losing their witness or reward. And we'll see those. And obviously, we're going to take the third view. But we'll see how they argue and how they put it together. And then we'll see how we put it together and how we can make application from that. So, why not view one or two? View one. Let's look at that. It says that they're neither hot nor cold. uh, They're lukewarm. And so they understand the cold as unbelievers openly rejecting Jesus. So the cold people are people who openly reject who Jesus is. They are outright, I'm against Jesus. The hot are true believers. And people who take this verse are usually Calvinists, Reformed theology people. John MacArthur holds this view. And, uh, and so they're usually the people who, who teach this view. And then the lukewarm, they're just, like we said, they're the mistaken believers. They go to church, they say they're Christians, but they're not true believers because their deeds don't match what they're saying. And so, because their deeds don't match their profession of faith, God's mad at them. And God says, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth now. So he says, I'm going to vomit. And so their view of vomit here is loss of perceived salvation. They thought they were saved, and so they're going to lose their perceived salvation. Now, why does that not make sense? Yeah, how can you lose what you don't have? So why is he even saying this? Um, and, And something that gets me is, he says, I wish you were either cold or hot. And if cold is unbelievers... Why is Jesus saying, I wish you were unbelievers, if you're already unbelievers? Uh, um, It doesn't jive with who Jesus is and his character. He doesn't wish for anyone to perish, but he actually wishes for all to be saved. That's 1 Timothy 2.4. He desires that all men would be saved. So it doesn't fit all that well. And I call it, again, the no assurance view because we're having to look at lifestyle. He says, I know your deeds. And so that's where people get, look, he's looking at their works. I know your works, that you're neither cold nor hot. And I wish that you were either cold or hot. So he's saying, I wish that you were either an unbeliever or a believer. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, it actually is written in Greek, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. So that's the first view, um, and that's the no assurance view. And uh, on the next page it says, This view, view one, looks and decides if a person has eternal life. Works are never the basis for eternal life. How are we saved? By faith alone and Christ alone. So faith alone and Christ alone is the basis for our eternal life. 
How do we know if we have eternal life? We look to faith. Do we believe? Have we trusted in Jesus for the free gift of eternity? Yes, I have. Now I know I have it because he promises me eternal life. That's Titus 1-2. It's also uh, John 10-28. It says, I give eternal life to them and they shall never perish. The way it's written in the Greek is ume, it's double negative, which is not good in English, but in Greek it's really good. I mean, it's firm. They will never, ever, ever perish. And so Jesus promised us eternal life on the basis of faith. So people get really mixed up from this kind of teaching because now they want to know if they're saved, what do they do? Well, I better look at my works. Okay, do, I, do my works, are they good enough? And the problem with that is, how do you ever know? Where do you draw the line? Is, okay, here's the line, I'm good. You can never know, so there's no assurance. You're never assured of your salvation if you're always looking to your works. Because works are not the basis for salvation, so why are you looking at works? It doesn't make sense. So we look to our faith. Have we trusted him? Yes, we have. Then we can move on knowing to assurance. And I put there 1 John 5.13. So faith alone is the basis for knowing that we have eternal life. Um, I think I got a, a funny cartoon I read. I can't really say it. it. says, I'm riding the Santa. And then the next one says, uh, this year uh, I was nice part of the time and naughty others. I'll break down the percentages. So he's looking, am I good or bad? You know. And then the last one is, then I'll just have to hope one of those weird little L's is a compassionate arbitrator. See, the thing is, when we look to our works, are we naughty or nice, when we start adding up the percentages, when we start calculating, all right, I got all these good works, and then we start realizing I'm not as good as I thought I was. Because we, we like to think of ourselves, you know, we're really good people. But when we stop and examine our lives and the thoughts that come in our head, in our intentions behind why we do some of the things we do. Outwardly, it looks really good, but sometimes our intentions aren't the best. And when we start looking at that stuff, it creates doubt. And there should never be doubt about our eternal life. It's why we shouldn't look to our works to know if we have eternal life, because it'll be like this dude up here. We'll just have to hope for a compassionate arbitrator. The truth is we have an advocate, Jesus Christ, Christ, who is at the right hand of the Father, who intercedes for us. Satan is accusing us saying, he's a drunk, he's a liar, all this stuff, he's a thief. And Jesus says, no, he's pure, he's righteous, because I've given him my righteousness. And so we know we have eternal life by faith alone, not by our works. So don't let anyone tell you, you need to look at your life, you need to examine yourself to know if you're in the faith, because that's just going to create doubt. All right, so... That's the first view we don't take. So the second view we don't take is that they were believers for a while. So it's the same thing. Cold here represents unbelievers. Hot represents believers. And lukewarm represents believers not on fire for God. So they say hot means you're on fire for Jesus, right? And so they're only a believer for a little while because they become lukewarm. They're not hot for Jesus. I'm glad I'm not in this kind of church, because who here is always hot for Jesus? It's tough, because the world starts beating you down. You know, you watch stuff on TV, you start reading stuff, and you get distracted, and, and sometimes you just wake up, and you're bringing donuts to church, because that's just what someone needs to do. You're not doing it because you're on fire anymore, and it's real easy to get uh, in these 
ruts and we're just living the Christian life and we kind of forget why we're living the Christian life. We forget, wait a minute, I'm doing this because Jesus Christ gave his life for me. It's an honor, it's a privilege to turn around and give my life for him. He died for me so that I could live for him. And we forget that sometimes because we just get into the routine of, of life and things, uh, we just get stuck in the rut. So I'm glad uh, you don't always have to be hot on fire for Jesus. So they say that's what it means to be hot. And the vomit here is loss of salvation. And so I just ask the question, who can be saved under this view? If you have to be hot, if you have to be on fire for Jesus to keep your salvation, then who could ever be saved? How can we ever keep our salvation? It's going to be a constant back and forth. At least it would be in my life. I don't know if I'm sharing too much about me, but some days I'm on fire and I'm like reading my Bible and memorizing stuff. And then other days, you know, I miss my quiet time. I kind of hit the snooze button or, you know, it's just easy to to get tired and to, okay, I'm probably not going to go over my memory verses today. And before you know it, it's just, you kind of get off track and you're not as hot. And so I would be, whoop, I lost my salvation. Better get it back. Better get on fire. That's not the truth and that's not what uh, Jesus is talking about here. So view two looks to works or faithfulness as the basis for keeping your eternal life. So, you have to continue being faithful in order to keep your salvation. And the truth is, is Jesus Christ's faithfulness, not our faithfulness. So that's the blank there. Christ's faithfulness alone is the basis for our security, not our own faithfulness. So the first view, no assurance. You want to know you have eternal life, you've got to look to your works. Well, when we're honest and we look at our works, we don't measure up to the righteousness of God. And so there's no assurance if we look to our works. We look to our faith in Christ as the basis for knowing that we have eternal life. That's our security. Our assurance, or our, sorry, that's our assurance. Our security isn't based on our faithfulness to keep living the Christian life, to stay hot for God. It's not based on that. It's based on Christ's faithfulness because he promised us eternal life. And he is faithful. Remember how this started. He's the faithful and true witness. He's the amen. He's the true one. So, for our security, we rest in his faithfulness, not our own faithfulness. Alrighty. So, who are the lukewarm? Alright, so, to understand the lukewarm, we've got to look at some history, some context here of the church of Laodicea. And what's interesting about all seven churches is Jesus talks to them specifically about their context. He makes contextual references to these cities that they, light bulb, they understand exactly what he's talking about. So he says this. He says, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth, verse 16. Why? Verse 17. Because you say that I'm rich and you become wealthy and you need of nothing. Do you not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked? It's the opposite of everything they think they are. They're rich. They make garments. They're not blind. They've cured eye problems with their eye salve. They're not naked. So he's saying, you might have all these things physically, but spiritually, this is who you really are. And this is his advice. He said, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich. 
in white garments, not the black ones that you produce, but white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. And, and buy eye salve for me to anoint your eyes that you may see. You think you see, but you don't see. You're Christians, but you're missing it because you're blinded by the wealth and all the possessions that the world has to offer, and you're failing at your purpose. And he says this, Those whom I love, I reprove and I discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. And the repent here isn't like repent for eternal life kind of thing. This is to believers. You're not living the Christian life. You need to change your mind and get back on track. This is what the repent is. It's repentance for the believer. And he says this, Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So he's talking to believers here. Not people who are unbelievers. They just made a mistake. He's not talking to people who um, are only believers for a little while. He's talking to believers who are not fulfilling their purpose. And so this, I, I wrote there on your handout, Heropolis. Heropolis was a city six miles to the north of um, Laodicea. And Colossae is where, you know, Paul wrote the book of Colossians and went to the church of Colossae. That, they're about 10 miles to the east of Laodicea. Now, Heropolis was known for their uh, hot springs. So people would travel to Heropolis to get in these hot springs, and it brought healing. It was very therapeutic, you know. And we still do this today. We go to spas, right, and get in the sauna, and it's warm, and it feels good on the bones and, and the muscles. It's very therapeutic. So people would travel to Heropolis to get in these hot springs. And so they considered the hot water to be healing and therapeutic. And Colossae was known for their cold streams. And people liked going to Colossae because you can get a nice refreshing drink of water there. And so Colossae was known for their refreshment and their, um, their cold springs. And so when he's talking about you're neither cold nor hot, he's talking to the Laodiceans because they had neither one of these, they had neither hot water nor cold water, and so what they did was, I think it's the next slide. I don't know if you can see it. Maybe, is there anyone back there to bring the lights down a little bit? What they did was they, they piped the water in from these two towns. So they piped the hot water in. Um, can you guys see this? No? Okay, I don't know. I'm getting the, there's no one back there. Okay, let me create a word picture for you. <laughs> it looks just like an old sewer. <laughs> so they piped the hot water in from Heropolis and they piped the cold water in from Colossae. But the problem was by the time it got to Laodicea, it was lukewarm water. It was neither hot nor cold water. Okay? So big waste of finances. And there's the disappointment of being lukewarm. Nobody liked lukewarm water. And so Jesus is using this context to put this image in their mind of who they really were. Hey, here we go. Yeah, so they, these, I, these are legit. I got these from Google. So, <laughs> so these are really there. Um, so you can see the, the different types. One was dug up. This was above ground. I don't know which came from where. but So they piped in the hot water and the cold water, and the big disappointment for the Laodiceans was, the water is neither hot nor cold. It's neither 
useful for healing, and it's neither useful for refreshment. It's just lukewarm water. And so their cold equals refreshing in the context, and hot equals healing or therapeutic. And so the lukewarm are those who are neither useful for healing and they're, and they're not use, useful for refreshment or encouragement. And so as believers, we have a purpose plan process, right? What's our purpose? Make disciples. Disciples is what? Training and evangelism. The training would be the cold refreshment, the bringing refreshment and encouragement to the body, training each other up in the word. The word encourages us. We grow in the grace of knowledge. The healing part is evangelism, bringing the gospel, the good news message that heals people. And so as believers, we're not unlike this church at all. We have the same purpose. We are to be going out into this community, bring refreshment and encouragement. I'm sorry, refreshment and healing, encouragement and the message of salvation. That's our purpose. Make disciples, evangelism and training. But these people were neither uh, useful for evangelism or training because they were so blinded by the wealth of this world and the possessions. And so he says this, I'm about to vomit you out of my mouth. So what's the vomit? It's the loss of witness. The loss of witness. I'm going to flip back to chapter 1. In, in verse 20 it says, As for the mystery of the seven stars which you saw this is Jesus speaking, in my right hand. So there's seven stars. And he says, as for the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So each church is a lampstand. And what is a lampstand good for? Light. Yeah. So what did Jesus say on the Sermon on the Mount? It, he said, um, what was it, 5, 14 through 16, I think, where he says, you're the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anybody light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they light the lamp and put it on a stand so that the whole room will be lit up. And then he says this, let your light shine before men so that they can see your good deeds and what? Glorify your Father who is in heaven. We don't do good deeds to know we're saved. We don't do good deeds to get on God's good side. You know, he might be mad at me today, you know. He loves us unconditionally. We do good deeds so that people can see our God through our lives. Remember, Jesus was the witness. He came to introduce God to man so that man could be introduced to God. We have the same ministry. We are to reveal God, introduce him to man through our good works. And then through that, they glorify God. They are brought to God through our lives. And so our good works are a witness. It's a light in a dark world. And it's the same thing here. Uh, let me see. If you look at verse 11, it says, write in a book uh, what you see and send it to the seven churches. And then, oh, sorry, that's, we've already talked about that. Uh, verse, where am I looking? The church of Ephesus. I think it's 2-5. Yeah, it says, so this is what he's saying to the first church. It says, therefore, remember where you have fallen, and repent, and do the deeds which you first did. 
or else I am coming to you and I will remove your lampstand out of place unless you repent. He's not talking about eternal life salvation. These are believers in a church and he's saying, if you don't start living right, I'm going to remove your salvation. I'm going to remove your lampstand. I'm going to remove your witness. You're, you've been given a responsibility, an opportunity at this specific time in history to represent Jesus Christ and you're not doing it. And I'm going to take that privilege away from you. It's the same thing in all the churches, and it's what he's talking about here, about vomiting them out of the mouth. Uh, And like I said, each church has, he's speaking to them in their context earlier in the chapter to the church of Sardis. uh, He says, I'm going to come like a thief. And he says, if I were you, I'd stay awake. I'd be watchful. I wouldn't fall asleep. And we're like, okay, yeah, be watchful. We get the principle. But to them, they're thinking about their city history. Because two times, the way that Sardis was, they had the town below, and then they had the Acropolis up on the mountain. And it was flanked by a steep cliff straight down. And so they thought they were really big stuff, and nobody could ever conquer them. And so once when Cyrus was king of Persia, they all went up to the Acropolis, and they're like, he can't get us. And so the king went to bed that night, not even worried about it. But through the night... When nobody was looking like a thief, Cyrus sent some guys up the cliff and they captured the city. He woke up the next day to it being ransacked. And then they didn't learn their lesson as a city. Again, almost 200 some years later, Antiochus Epiphanes, he was uh, king of the Seleucids in um, Greece, and he did the same thing. They went to bed that night. All they did was watch the front gates because that's the only way you can get in, right? And overnight, they went to bed, they woke up, they sent guys up the cliff again. So to them, when he says, stay awake, be watchful, he's you know, using their context. And again, it's the same thing here. That's why we're saying vomit isn't loss of salvation, isn't loss of perceived salvation. Vomit would have been, in their minds, oh, this is gross water. I don't, wanna, I don't like lukewarm water. I spit it out. Same thing. God's saying, I want you to be either hot, I want you to be bringing the message of salvation, or I want you to be cold. I want you to um, bring refreshment and encouragement. All right, so our assurance and our security frees us to live hot and or cold. Because we have assurance, we can be both these things. Because we're not worried about if we're going to heaven or not. We have the assurance. Uh, Because we have security, we're freed. Because we don't have to worry about oh man, I didn't read my Bible this morning. I may have ticked God off and I got to get back in His good graces. I don't want to lose my salvation. We have security. We're not going to lose it. He promised us eternal life and He's faithful to bring it about. So we're free to be hot or cold. The second verse, and we'll do it real quickly, is verse 20. So he says, those whom I love and I I reprove, I discipline, therefore be zealous and repent. In verse 20 he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and I will dine with him and he with me. And I've heard this verse misused quite a bit. And usually it's at an altar call. And they'll say something like, come on down. Jesus is a gentleman. He will not barge his way into you. You have to receive him and ask him into your heart. He stands at the door of your heart knocking. And if you would open your heart, he'll come into you and he'll live. That's not 
what he's talking about. This isn't a salvation verse because he's talking to believers, right? The church of Laodicea. And so what it is, is this. It's, it's actually um, a fellowship verse. And so he said, it sounds like this, I'll come inside of you. And so like there's the preposition into, but it's not there. If you look, it's in to or in towards. So what it means is in towards, come in the door towards him. And then he'll dine. Dining, dining is a term of fellowship. What did Jesus always do? Where is he always hanging out? Well, the Pharisees were upset because he's dining with the sinners and the tax collectors. Why are they so upset? Because dining in the culture is a term of intimate fellowship. He is associating, and not just associating, he's having a meal with these sinners. So dining is a term of fellowship. Uh, the night before Jesus was, or the night he was betrayed, uh, what was he doing with his disciples? They were dining. Um, so to come in and dine is a term of fellowship. He's saying you're out of fellowship. You need to repent and be zealous. Come back. Let's have fellowship. I'm at the door. I'm waiting. Let's get right. So when we're out of fellowship, what do we do? First John 1 John 1.9 says, confess our sin. And Jesus is both faithful and just to forgive us, not just of the sin that we committed that got us out of fellowship, but he wants to be in fellowship with us so desperately, he forgives us of all unrighteousness, even the ones that we don't even know we did. He says, I don't want anything hindering us, so I'm just going to forgive everything. All right, and so the reason this gets so mixed up, though, is because they read it real fast and say, look, he knocks at the door. If anyone hears, then it says, I will come into him. It sounds like, Let's get some Greek. Someone told me they really like Greek. And you guys can do this. Fucking get JB's. Okay. This is how it works. This is what it's written. I put this down here so you can read Greek. You guys are really smart today. So this is, it's, it's ice lu somai pros auton. So the preposition into is put in the word. I will come in. Into, I will come. So we translate the word enter. I will enter towards him, is how it's written in Greek. The way that people interpret it is like this. They take the preposition off and put it right here and replace that. And it says, I will come into him, like inside him. That's not how it's written. If, if John were trying to say that, he would have written it just like this. But John wrote it just like this so that we would know that it's not coming into him we are coming in the door towards him. It's relationship. It's I'm coming close to you. I want to be with you. I don't want to shine this in anyone's eyes. Okay. I'm not very good with this. Does that make sense? This isn't a salvation verse. This is a fellowship verse. This is Jesus says you guys are missing it as a church. You're lukewarm. I desperately want you to be hot or cold. I want you to be uh, given the gospel, I want you to be refreshing and encouraging to others, but you're not. I desperately want to get back in fellowship. I'm at the door. I'm waiting. What are you going to do about it? And so let's make application here. So it's not a salvation verse, but it's a fellowship verse. One, let's be careful to engage and be rich in good works. Titus 3.8 says, but the believers should be careful to engage in good deeds. We should be ready to do good deeds. First Timothy 9-10 through 10 
I don't, I'm not good enough to have it memorized, so I'll just flip there. It says this, But those who want to get rich fall into temptation in a, in, uh, in a snare, in many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. So the love, not money, but the love of money, the desire to get more and more, to be rich, that's what's evil. It says those who want to get rich. It's not being rich isn't bad. It's not having a good job and making a lot of money. Good for you. You worked hard. God's not saying anything bad about that. He's saying the people that strive their whole life to get rich, and it doesn't matter who they trample in their way, these are the people that plunge themselves into ruin and destruction. And Brian's going to preach later on uh, the soils, and this is the third one. Riches and wealth, they come up and choke us and they hinder us from getting rewards and, um, and mess up our witness. The second one is let's be A, refreshing to those around us. And you probably could guess B. B is hey, let's bring the healing message of Jesus to those around us. So let's be hot and cold. Um, the third one is let's make fellowship with Jesus our priority. Because if we're in fellowship with him, all this is going to take care of itself. If we're waking up saying, I want to be close to you, I want to dine with you, then uh, we're going to be doing good deeds. Uh, Jesus said, he who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. Apart from me, he can do nothing. The abiding, the fellowship. So let's be careful to gauge in good deeds and be rich in good works. Let's be hot and cold. Let's be refreshing to those around us. Let's be healing, bringing the good news, the gospel, that Jesus died paying for sin, that he rose again on the third day, and whoever puts their faith in Jesus has the gift of eternal life. And while we do that, let's make fellowship with Jesus our priority.